This is episode number 480 of the Health and Fitness Podcast by Inner Fight, brought to you in association with Smith Street Paleo. Please hop over to smithstreetpaleo.com, check out all the goodness you can have delivered to your home. Welcome back to another edition of the show, folks. In this show, Andre connects again with his coach from America. Super interesting discussion, and I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks to Andre. Thanks to Kyle. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kyle Roof, who is my coach and who was on the show, episode 352. Go check it out. We spoke about respiratory system versus cardiac. We talked about defining what an engine is capacity versus economy and the moxie monitor which i actually just bought kyle welcome back thank you andre good to be back how are you doing i'm doing very well man uh just uh you, you know getting getting through trying to figure out all of the uh the the changes to the season this this uh coming year and trying to trying to organize people's calendars and and get some footing with all the craziness that has happened and chaos that's happened in, in the CrossFit world. I can only imagine what kind of chaos it is as an online programmer and a coach for, for people all over the place. I mean, before it was like kind of peak for the Open or Regionals or the Games, which is a little bit more straightforward than the new system where everyone's going to choose different sanctioned events. Um, for those of who, you guys who don't know, what happened is that Regionals kind of got cut out of the picture which was the the second stage after the Open before going to the Games. And now there is the sanctioned events, which is 16 events or 17 events, even spread out over the whole year. For those of you who do not know... It's definitely a a, a different, uh, definitely a different, like just playing field now, because before you had one opportunity to qualify, right? The only opportunity was through the Open, and now there's 16 different ones, and it, it happened throughout the year so if someone gets hurt someone gets sick at least they have more opportunities so i see it as a as a path to this becoming a, a legit almost professional sport versus where it was before yeah totally agree and you know it gives so much more opportunity also to travel i think also sponsor wise if reebok kind of gets out of the deal that um that more sponsors can enter because obviously it's a problem if you're sponsored by nike and then you go to the biggest event of the year and then you can't you have to wear Reebok, which is you know the component or the 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 opposite brand of that. You know that's actually true uh, with the Olympics often as well. I know with with the U.S. athletes, they have to wear whatever the U.S. Olympic sponsor is, regardless of what their individual sponsors are. But oh. um, I think that's common. But I do agree with you. I do agree with you. For the people who do not know who you are, I mean, other than they know that you're my coach, can you give a little bit of background information on yourself? what you're educated in, what you do for a living, where you work, where can people find you, and what your personal goals are. Man, that's a lot. Uh, all right, so starting quick from the beginning, <laughs> I was – yeah, quick walkthrough. Um, I was a swimmer. I would have definitely defined myself as a swimmer for many years of my life. I think I swam competitively up to the point that I was 26 years old, uh, competed at a – high level, never quite as high as I wanted to, because I think that's how most uh, athletic endeavors work for the majority of us that don't end up winning. Yeah. Uh, After that, I moved directly into CrossFit, qualified for regionals back in 2012, my first year. Uh, That was, you know, the sport was a very different thing back then. And they took 60 athletes versus 20. There were no super regions, et cetera, et cetera. I ended up qualifying again, 13, 14, 15, at which point 
uh, I really shifted my my focus away from competing and more towards coaching athletes. I felt like I had a lot more to offer. Um, I, I felt like I had a lot to offer to younger athletes to teach them how to be a better competitor, to teach them about you know, what things create longevity in an athletic career. Because as someone who did compete all the way until they were 30 at a, at a high level in multiple sports, yeah, uh, I'd learned a lot of lessons. You know, as, as an individual athlete for, for 15 to, to 20 years, there's a lot that I learned that I felt like I could pass on to younger athletes. And right. I had this great opportunity with Training Think Tank to, to get access to athletes all over. And I felt like if I – just poured everything I had into my own athletic career that I would be uh, losing an opportunity and selling a lot of the people that I worked with short. So I made I made pretty hard uh, a pretty hard shift towards focusing on coaching uh, after the 2015 season, and since then things have gone really well. Uh, I've coached games athletes from teen to masters, teen games athletes. Uh, I've had an opportunity to work with with people that have been in the top five and top six in one of my specialties coaching people with swimming, uh, in the sport of CrossFit, which is so different than coaching swimming, yeah. uh, with swimmers, just the bodies are so different and the buoyancy and everything. So I've had that opportunity educationally, um, came up th- through the U S uh, traditional university system, got an undergrad degree in exercise science. And then I went on to study at the counseling center for swimming science, got my master's there. Yeah. Uh, through Indiana University, and uh, my focus was plyometrics, sort of the the application of land power to to the water, which was an interesting segue into the, the sport of CrossFit. So I was like one of the few swimmers and swim coaches who had a lot of experience with working with athletes on land. Yeah. Uh, so it, it I'd had exposure to to most of the elements in CrossFit. It, as an example, uh, we had used with with some of the teams that i worked with we actually use bar muscle ups as a uh an upper body power development tool in swimming <laughs> before before i got into crossfit and before i i even realized that crossfit was a thing and so i just kind of it was like a natural segue yeah. into into the sport of crossfit and a lot of the energy system demands of swimming uh and like the interval training and, and some of the training it made sense in view of CrossFit and CrossFit makes sense in view of some of the the components of swimming. So it was an easy transition. Yeah. I think that is all 33 years in a, uh, in a nutshell. What that was pretty much all the things I wanted to hear, but there was one more thing. What are your personal goals as a coach? Because I can imagine as a very driven athlete for that many years, switching over as a coach, changing your goals. How have you been able to, like for your own training, but also is there goals for your coaching career? Do you have certain targets you want my, to hit? So for my own, for my own athletic training, um, my goals, my, my current goal is to explore fitness and explore ways to help my athletes improve. Yeah. Um, I don't have any, like, I'm, I'm not trying to set a PR back squat or I'm not trying to, to win the CrossFit games or get some particular place in the open. I just like exploring methods and I create training blocks and training cycles for myself just to test things, to explore and see, you know, how can this benefit my athletes? I look at my own personal training as a personal practice that I apply to uh, my athletes. It's another learning tool. You know, yeah. there's academic learning, there's reading and things like that. And then for me, this is experiential learning. It's an opportunity for me to go and, and 
play and explore. The other thing I like to do is when, when I have athletes come visit us uh, on site at Training Think Tank, I like to throw down with them. So I got to <laughs> make sure that I stay at least healthy enough and fit enough that I can continue to throw down. Although I have found in the last year that either I'm doing a much better job coaching my athletes and I can no longer hang with them or I'm starting to, to fade in, in my fitness, probably some combination of both. <laughs> uh, or I'm just working with higher level athletes now, but, uh, that's definitely a big component of my own personal, uh, training practice. Yeah. And then from a, from a coaching perspective, I set out two years ago, I, I said I was going to try and create an army of games athletes. Uh, and this past year, so the 2018 season was probably the first time that I could say that I, uh, at least took major strides towards that. I had a team, two masters, and two athletes on teams that I that I coached, and I would say that having uh, that group of athletes there is it's close to an army. I'd say that's at least a yeah, uh, for sure a battalion. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's an army yet, but I'd love to expand it. I I think for me one of the end goals is to to place a male or female in the open division at, at the games and and have them really start to uh, not just go. You know, I I feel like one of the th- the lessons that I learned this past year was that uh, my methods for getting people to the games and getting people there, getting people to regionals were really good, but getting people to take the next step once they qualified, uh, that needed to be refined. And so and was now that, having had the opportunity to work, go was, ahead. Was that training methods or was it the things outside of training that made the biggest difference? Do you, do you get what I mean? If, if what changed yeah, your, so, your approach uh, I, to it? I look at so so as an example, one of the things that I found that I that I think I missed was the was a better use of the training environment. Most mm-hmm. of the athletes that I coach train by themselves for the majority of the year. Yeah. However, my team athletes performed exceptionally well yeah. at the games, and and I think a big part of that was they all had forced uh, group training sessions multiple times per week you know they were forced to throw down with their well, i don't know if you want to call it force but it was just part of their program yeah every week to throw down with the rest of their team and the results when they showed up on game day they were ready to go versus the you know the individual athletes that i worked with they didn't really have anybody around them that could push them and so i did run a training camp about three weeks before the games and it was the first time that any of them had really had an opportunity since you know the qualifiers or even since Wadapalooza back in January uh and we're talking this is mid-July it's the first time they'd really had an opportunity to, to throw down with people at their level so I think learning to better use training environments yeah. to use training camps and uh attacking things with with other people I think that was one of my big lessons and takeaways from from the games this past year and definitely an influence on that uh but yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of components. Um, another one that you, you and I have talked about this, and I think this is uh, really important, is is taking away perceived limits. Yeah. So, one one of the things that I used to do is I would say, you know, I'd have someone come in and they would be squatting, uh, say a male open level athlete squatting 450 to 465, and you're like, dude, you're strong enough for the sport. We don't really need to focus on strength. Well, I've I've definitely had a shift since the games where it's like, yeah. right. There's no such thing as strong enough. You know, we're always shooting to be as strong as possible, as fast as possible, as enduring as possible, maintain it as long as possible, because the reality is that this sport is ever evolving. It's young. The 
percentage improvement from the same individual year to year. If you just look at uh, repeat workouts in the open, it's, it's massive. It's people insane. who are who are yeah, people who are following good training programs are improving dramatically year to year, even when they're five six years into their career. So. I think shifting the mindset from, okay, these things are good enough. We're just going to forget about them and, and put them in maintenance mode. There's no such thing as maintenance mode. Everything's got to get developed to, to the max. Yeah, I think that's, that's a big takeaway. You know, Instead of comparing yourself to anything else, it's simply just as strong as possible, as fast as possible, as enduring as possible. And that's your only target. And it, it, there's no end of the road there. It's just continue, continue. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that all of us coaches do is we go back and have athletes test qualifiers or test workouts from the games from the previous years or test regional workouts when they're preparing for regionals. And we use those as a benchmark. It's like, oh, man, you would have finished second. That's great. Well, the reality is that was second against a field from 2018 or second <laughs> against the field from 2017. Uh, I made that mistake with, with my teen athlete at the, the games this past year. We had her strong enough to compete in 2017 games but she was competing at 2018 games and the girls were way stronger and that was that was kind of the aha moment for me and you know there's probably other coaches who probably came to that realization a long time ago but uh you know it's for me it was that was a big aha moment like, like hey i've got to quit looking at at what the metrics were a year ago or two years ago and look ahead let's yeah we need to be ahead of the curve instead of chasing it Exactly, especially as it's a young sport. In today's show, yep. we have our goal is to cover four topics other than the introduction that we went through. And let's see how far we can get. The first topic is periodization models. The second one is building long-term athletic success. Third one is why traditional sport training models don't work in CrossFit and building your team. We're going to start from the top, periodization models. Let's kick it in. What do you think? Can it work for CrossFit? How is it applicable for the sport and just generally your thoughts? Okay, so let's start from the top on, on, on sort of my view of periodization models. Um, I, I got into programming, program design via the periodization book, Tudor Bompa's periodization book. That was kind of my, my coaching Bible when I first started. And, uh, you know, I've, I've used the, the templates from there and I've used – variations of the basic periodization that that he lays out in that book for years and years and years and then you know next step was block periodization and and really working with uh targeted training blocks where okay this was a strength block and then this was a speed endurance block and then this was a speed strength block and yeah. you know phasing training in these discrete you know discrete windows where i'm at now is is i would say very different from that but it it builds off of some of those earlier periodization schemes. So my, my thoughts are as follows. First, I use what we call dynamic periodization. Um, I know I'm not the first person to come up with this. Uh, I know Evan has talked – Evan Pike, one of our coaches, has talked a lot about this as well. But essentially dynamic periodization is that each subsequent training cycle or training week or training block – is directed and altered by the results of the previous training block. So yeah. instead of me sitting down at the beginning of a competitive season and planning out the entire year and going, okay, four weeks out, we're going to be doing, uh, you know, speed strength endurance work. And then three weeks out, we're going to be doing, you know, special strength work. And then two weeks out, we're going to be doing this. Instead of me doing that, 
I simply do the following. How did the, how did the performance, how did the results look from the previous week? Yeah. All right. That informs what the next training cycle or training block is going to look like. We call it dynamic periodization because there's still an overarching theme, right? Yeah. We know that specificity is king. We know that by the end of the season, we need to have you better at CrossFit in your case. Um, and we need to have you better at all of these different events within the, the subset of CrossFit. Yeah. But the, the path to that point is always going to look different for every athlete. And I don't think there's any way for me at the beginning to say at the beginning of a 16 week season to be able to say, all right, this is the rigidly say, this is the path that the athlete is going to take to get there. I know that in general, the specificity is going to in- increase as we go, but it's going to be based upon each previous week for the athlete, if that makes sense. That so makes, that's one component. Yeah, it makes total sense because how are you? How can you predict the athlete's adaptations from week to week? If if you make you know a sixteen week strength cycle, like we often see, this people start following Russian squat cycle or Bulgarian method, and you know they're like planning three months ahead, and then they reach week seven and they can no longer follow the cycle because this was a cycle built for professional athletes that one in a million could actually complete and you're just a high school student who just graduated and started training <laughs> last year. And, and Andre, I, it I, sounds I, like you're speaking from experience. I'm talking about myself, you know, like, and it just makes total sense. You need to see from a week to week basis how you're adapting, how you're feeling because like all of a sudden your knee might start hurting out of your control and it might just be something that just pops up and then you miss one week of the squat cycle and you try to catch it up. And that's why I feel like your approach, the dynamic periodization model is so smart because you just take, you know, you listen to the client and, and look at adaptations and, and how the client feels. And, and then you can easily build the, the best way to make those desired adaptations in that dynamic block or period. There's definitely disadvantages to that model. So the, the first is that it's not scalable. So I'm very yeah. limited on the number of athletes that I can work with. Worst business model ever. The, it, <laughs> it is probably the worst business model. But, man, is it damn successful if you're trying to create really high-level, high-performing athletes. Yeah. So it, uh, it, I think it, it shows some of where my, uh, my priorities and my principles lie in that I, I do put a premium on performance and, and the individual and, and the individual's – uh, needs and adaptations that is more important to me than working with, you know, a hundred, 200 athletes or, or something like that. So that's yeah. much more important to me is doing it right than, than doing it a lot of it. Uh, I think the second component of my periodization model and this, uh, again, heavily influenced by Evan, heavily influenced by Max, but, uh, we, we all, all three of us use what I would call like a build and maintain. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We, <laughs> not a, build and maintain we we yeah. use like this constantly revisiting periodization model the traditional model is build and maintain and essentially what that means is like you go through a uh you, you go through a base building block you build your aerobic base as an example yeah right you, you spend eight weeks and you do progressive volume low intensity work to build up your aerobic base and then you shift into an intensification phase and you completely forget about all that base stuff and you're hoping that that is maintained over the course of the next uh, the rest of the season. So if you have a 16 weeks season, you build the aerobic base for eight weeks and then you're like, okay, I really hope that this 
you know, that I retain this for the next eight weeks into the end of the season. And I've had so many people get to the end of using old periodization model where they would, you know, we would build an aerobic base for eight weeks and we'd shift into sports specific stuff. They get to competition and they're like, I feel unfit. Oh, well, the reason they felt unfit is because their base had completely eroded all of the underlying, um, all the stuff under the hood had faded away when all you, you do is sport training. Right. When you're just doing testers, the the things that support your ability to perform at a high level, that stuff erodes. So I use a a a training periodization that works in much smaller blocks and I address everything all the time. You're always going to be getting touches on your aerobic base. You're always getting touches on some of the basic components. So like as an example, um, let's say we're talking about gymnastics. Yeah. You know, a lot of times if people will be like, all right, we're going to do six weeks of strict gymnastics and we're going to do, you know, five weeks of uh, gymnastics in isolation where you're doing like AMRAP unbroken. We're going to build this up and then you're going to do just do your gymnastics in the sport. That would be a traditional periodization model. Yeah. Um, Contrast that. So what I'll do is they might do two weeks of uh, strict gymnastics strength. But within that, we're still going to touch on gymnastics in a sport condition setting we're still going to touch on it um in in like an amrap unbroken type setting where we're we're building all qualities all the time it's just the amount of emphasis on any one quality is going to be determined by where we're at within the season is this the model you use uh only for elite athletes or is that also applicable for uh lower level athletes let's say people who have all the skills down and deciding to to increase their level. So a, a fairly beginner, but somebody who can already do all the skills, can snatch body weight and can do ring muscle ups and and stuff like that. Would that be yeah. applicable as well, or would you have a more periodization model for a longer time, like a basic old school periodization model? So one of the mistakes that I had made and and made this over and over and over, you know, early in my coaching career was that I would build a quality in isolation and then yeah. and I would expect it to have transfer over to the sport. So as an example, like you build up someone's strict handstand push-up capacity, right? So take the athlete who can do, you know, they have all the skills in the sport. And what you do is you're like, all right, your strict handstand push-ups are weak. So we're just going to work them in isolation. We're just going to work strict handstand push-ups and take you from uh, 15 unbroken to 25 unbroken. Yeah. All right. You're like, yes, super successful. And then you run them through five rounds for time, 10 strict handstand pushups, 10 deadlift, 10 box jump overs or some, something right, like yeah. that. And you're like, they're like, man, my handstand pushups still feel, you know, still feel terrible. I still feel like shit. Well, part of the problem was that the, the adaptations that you make in isolation are not necessarily the same as the adaptations that you make for the sport. So it's important if what you had done, instead of just running simple linear periodization models to... Uh, to progress their strict handstand push-up from 15 to 25 if what you had done is simultaneous to that run some simple sport progressions like hey when you're done with that you're just gonna do three rounds for time nine strict handstand push-ups nine kettlebell swings yeah where you add the element of of mixed conditioning and the element of the sport if you just do something as simple as that people's ability to transfer those new adaptations into the sport happens simultaneous to their adaptation in that individual skill. And what you see is that they can actually use it in a much more broad, um, you know, broad mixed setting, which is what you want for a CrossFitter in the end. 
Yeah. And so I think part of it is like when you look at old periodization models, they work really well in single domain elements. So yeah. as an example, if you use an old periodization model for a swimmer, because swimmers swim to improve their conditioning, it works well. If you use old periodization models to improve running, it improves running because people run to improve their conditioning. Well, that is not the case in, in CrossFit. There's too many there's too many variables that get, get introduced when you take a run and uh, power clean at 225 and strict handstand push-ups. All of a sudden, it becomes a completely different element because there's uh, bl- blood pressure gets it's increased. You have excess heat production from moving a, a heavy barbell. More CO2 is produced, which changes your breathing mechanics. The athlete has to be able to stiffen up to be able to support that load. And then they have to go run again. And if they haven't run and done mixed work, then they have no experience and they have none of the adaptations that are required to be able to run on with stiffness, high blood pressure, excess heat, and more CO2 in their blood. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, yeah. like that, honestly, when I started working with you one and a half year ago, I think it is now, that was one of the things like that got me worried in the beginning. I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm used to these like really strict, you know, blocks, like rowing cycle and handstand push up cycle, like EMOM 10, 10 strict handstand push up and increasing, trying to increase reps or, you know, 10 500s, uh, one minute rest on the rower. And then I get you, and it's just like, chaos like you don't see you don't see the you know i feel like as an athlete you you like to see the system or like you know you do one more next week and then this and that and the other but really that's because like you said it's not really what works and and clearly for me it didn't work before as a as a simple example 10 500s right 10 500 meter rows that's going to make you better at rowing but is that necessarily going to improve that? And that will make a novice athlete better at rowing in a Metcon too. Yeah. Because if someone's really bad at rowing and you improve their rowing generally, then likely they'll improve their rowing in a Metcon. Yeah. However, we take someone like you who already has, you know, all the underlying capacity built. What you're really needing to do is learn how to row within a Metcon and learning more specifically how to hold certain paces, certain yeah. levels of pace, like 1,600 or 1,700 cals per hour for a 20-minute time domain workout where you're hitting 15-calorie chunks. Yeah, That's a very different adaptation when it's mixed with, uh, you know, 75-pound dumbbell snatches and handstand walks than just doing 10 500-meter rows. Definitely. And so those, those linear progressions, EMOM, 10 strict handstand push-ups and progressing that, that's great at making you better at hand, at doing strict handstand push-ups, but not necessarily better at making you better at doing handstand push-ups in a Metcon. Yeah, I, I agree. I, uh... So I liken, I liken the, the periodization, you know, sort of, you said it's chaos, but there's like a direction. I liken it to this. I, I built a deck uh, last over this past summer. Yeah. And I, I did not have a plan. I had a general sense of what I wanted to create. And I did the math to make sure that I had enough lumber to build exactly, not exactly what I wanted, but I had enough lumber to have a little bit of excess when I was done. Yeah. And I started building and I just, I I just built. And when I saw the next, I was like, okay, generally I know I want to have these supports here. And generally I know I want to 
have it be this big. And in general, I know that I want the boards to run this direction and that I'm going to have to play supports over here. And by the time I was done three days later, I had this beautiful deck that I, that I spent all this time building, but I never had a plan. I just had a vision of the direction I wanted it to go Yeah. and put the boards where they needed to go as I built it. And each board, the placing of each board was determined by what I had built before. That's dynamic periodization. And that's what I try and do with my athletes. So even though it may look like chaos, there's always a direction to the program. There's always a direction that everything's heading. In general, we know we're improving right. barbell cycling for you. Yeah. You know, we know we're improving uh, general squatting strength and deadlifting strength. So those things get touched, but they get touched with high variance. Yeah. I never, I, I don't want to create pattern overload. And the reality is that strength in this sport means the ability to move a heavy sandbag, the ability to carry a heavy, to move a heavy barbell maybe carry a 600-pound yoke, maybe to snatch 285 pounds. Well, all of those things are varied expressions of the thing that we call strength. And so in general, your strength training should be varied. Yeah. This kind of covers the, That's my take. the, the topic of why traditional sport training models don't always work in CrossFit. I think that kind of what we just discussed there covers that topic as well. So if we build on to the next topic, that would be building long-term athletic success. What's your thoughts on that, and what are your tips and tricks? And, I mean, what have you seen with the many years of experience that you have in the sport? Well, it's funny. Max asked me uh, – Max, Max Ahag, uh, our, the guy who runs Training Think Tank, he asked me yesterday uh, if I were coaching a young competitor, what – and I was trying to teach them to be intelligent about their training, their habits – um, their competitive mindset, all those things. What are the three most important variables that I would try to instill to them? Yeah. And my response was as, was as follows. The first is learning to put failures into context, that they're just lessons, that when you fall short of a goal, it's just teaching you what you need to improve for the next time. And any time that you feel like something is a shortcoming or a weakness, it's just a, a very simple mirror showing you what you have to address. And in a sport like CrossFit, there can't be any weaknesses. And so you have to fail over and over and over to determine what all of those weaknesses are so that you can eliminate them. Yeah. But if you think about, you know, traditional Western mindset, it is that failure is failure. And if you fail, you're a failure. Yeah. And that is, that's almost a guaranteed way to keep people's careers short. I, I heard this quote recently, and you always call me the master of quotes. I heard this <laughs> quote, and it was essentially like, "Here we go." Uh, the the average person fails once and quits. Uh, good people fail ten times and quit. Great people fail a hundred times and quit. And the best in the world have never quit. Yeah. And I think that taking that lesson, and that's something I'm trying to instill. And in, in, I have a six year old daughter. I'm trying to teach her that, right? That. There, there's no, not really such a thing as failure. It's just a, a it's just a stepping stone. It's just a lesson, yeah. and maybe it's even a compass. You know, failure is a compass pointing you in the direction that you do need to go. Um, the the second point was that they need to learn to listen to their body and not ignore it. And granted, there are times that they should probably ignore some of the signals that their body is giving them, like in competition or in really aggressive training camps that, you know, you may need to, to learn to ignore some of the signals, the pain signals and the fatigue signals that your body's giving you. But the reality is that if you want to have a long career, if you want to develop resilience, 
uh, you have to learn to listen to what your body's telling you and yeah. learn to discern the difference between things that are a problem, things that will become a problem, like an elbow yeah. or a knee or a back versus things that are that just hurt or are uncomfortable because you have to address them because you're addressing a previous failure. Yeah. Right. And I think teaching young athletes to the, the difference between those things and the importance of taking a rest day when it's necessary. The fact that uh, most of the young athletes, the guys that are in their 18s and, you know, guys and girls that are in their 18s to, to early 20s that I work with, they just try and train through everything. If their yeah. back hurts. They want to, they just want to keep going like, oh yeah, it'll be fine in two days, which they're probably right. You know, it's a, if it's the first time you've come up against an injury, uh, it's, it's eye-opening how long they can last as you get older. You know, the stuff when I was in my 20s that I would get the tweaks, it would be gone in three days and I could just start training again. And then by the time I was 30, that same tweak would last for a week. And I'm sure by the time that I'm, you know, in my 40s, I'll be talking about how it lasts for, for two and a half weeks. And then in my 50s, I'll be like, yeah, don't ever train through tweaks because then you end up <laughs> like I am and I can't walk. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's the case. But, yeah, that's that's another big component of it, I think, is learning to recognize, differentiate, and listen to the signals that your body is, is giving you and act on them. There's a reason that your back hurts. Yeah. There's something wrong. You're, you're doing something that's creating pain. It doesn't mean that there's necessarily an injury, but you're doing something your body is telling you, you need to do something different. Yeah. And I wish, you know, when I was when I had gotten into CrossFit when I was like 26, 27, I wish I had listened a little bit better to some of the messages that my body was, was sending me. I may have been able to, to prolong my athletic career that way. So yeah. that's definitely a lesson I want to I pass on. And then the other one was just recognize the impact that movement quality has on longevity, on your ability to, uh, to express your capacity. Movement quality is, is probably, in my opinion, the single biggest predictor of of longevity in someone's athletic career. Yeah. Assuming the other two points as well, because let's face it, if your if your knees cave in every time you squat, and you're creating stress on that MCL, ACL, uh, and and some of the medial meniscus and and everything, eventually something in there is going to break. If every time you you do a deadlift, you cycle through flexion extension cycles eventually some component of, of your spine is, is going to be the weak link and it's going to get taken out. Yeah. There's always a weak link in the chain. So to go through the points, the first one was basically learn through failure and you do that. I mean, the way you've taught me is, you know, we got to put, you got to put yourself out there, enter qualifiers, don't be afraid, you know, never be like, just put yourself out there, go against other people in qualifiers or you know go against someone who who you don't want to get beat by and those kind of things so that you get used to that feeling of you know being nervous or maybe just realizing that you know you, you're not where you want to be yet but that qualifier or that session taught you something second one was learn that to, is an important yeah. real, realization in and of itself recognizing that you're not where you want to be people are afraid of that yeah and if you're afraid of it you should go to it if something, if there's something in the sport that that you that you are afraid of, that thing is probably the one that's holding you back. Yeah. I mean, I know I've asked you this question. I ask all my athletes this question: like, 
What are you most afraid of? What would be your worst nightmare workout to show up? And that address is, that. Go towards it. That is very difficult to to be honest and say. You know, like when you have to be completely honest with yourself and and say, you know, like that workout that really scares me. If that comes up, like because that's what you least want to do. But you tell your coach, and all you're gonna do is that freaking workout or similar stuff. Um, but is that variations of variations of thrusters and running yeah. over and over yeah. and over and over? But is that honesty that will take you to the next level? The second point I agree. was what happened the last time. <laughs> yeah. Well, all I was gonna say is what happened the last time you had a thruster workout show up in competition. Yeah, Smashed it. Exactly. Because we addressed it, but it sucked all the training. But it was definitely worth it. <laughs> The reward was definitely worth it. Yeah. The second one was learn to listen to your body. And I think one way you taught me really well here is, you know, auto-regulated training models. And, like, you you don't set a set of sets, you know, like volume or, or intensity in many cases. And you let me control how many sets or how heavy I'm going to go on that day. Rather than saying, all right, you, today you have to build up to – a 350 clean or whatever it might be then it's like built to heavy single of the day or you know those kind of things and i think that really helps so you don't have everything so controlled that's one way where you really that actually ties back in that ties back into the periodization model because one of the things that's important as a coach is to recognize when auto-regulated progressions are best and when uh it's best to just be like hey you need to put 385 on the bar and move it yeah. right there's those are two very different things and the reality is i, I tend to use auto-regulated stuff earlier in the season it's less you know less spec- specific and i'm not necessarily trying to uh I, I want the athlete to be more aware of themselves because i want to keep the training stress lower potentially versus you know where you get to the end of a season and it doesn't matter how your body feels you need to get the, the work done yeah and so you need you need to learn to get out of your head at, at certain points as well. But for longevity purposes, you need to learn to listen to the signals in your body. Exactly. The last one is movement quality. And I think that the key I've learned over the time is that movement quality comes down to your fo- also your focus in the session. Like switching off your phone, really paying attention to how you move, how you feel. If you don't have a coach at hand, like filming yourself, reviewing it with a critical eye you know always being aware of how can i make this movement even better and um i think the biggest component is honestly just phone on flight mode if you use it you only use it for filming and nothing else because the only way to realize that that something is a problem is to be there 100 percent mentally and physically yeah i think there's a lot of different approaches here um and and every coach is going to have their own unique style i tend to use uh, movements that I know will create the shape or the, the movement pattern that I'm trying to, to elicit. So for example, if someone has a tendency to, um, to, to, you know, lose spine integrity in the bottom of a squat, maybe we're going to be doing goblet squat progressions or, um, zercher squat progressions or double kettlebell front squat progressions, something like that, that forces them into the position that I want and then strengthens that. Yeah. The other big component I use is just intention work where I give very specific cues. It's like in this squat, I want you, I want balanced weight on your feet and I want you to pay attention to staying, keeping a vertical torso in the bottom. I've found those two to be the most successful uh, tools for addressing movement quality for myself. But there is 
there are so many different ways to skin that cat and every coach is going to come up with a different method for addressing it that's that works best for them and every athlete will need a different way to get it addressed absolutely the last topic we're going to go through today is building your team and that's one thing we have been speaking a lot about and you know the importance of having the right people around you and how that can affect your athletic career and your life in general what are your thoughts here what are your advice to people who aspire to become a great crossfit athlete or just generally a great person i think both 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 things will work the same way in this system you know this thought originally got planted uh for me after reading ego is the enemy and there's a section where i think i think it was chuck liddell who's a legendary ufc fighter and he talks about the plus minus equals uh concept which you and i have, have have discussed quite a bit and essentially the plus minus equals uh concept is that you need to train with a plus someone who's better than you yeah and in crossfit you're not always going to have someone who's better than you in every aspect of the sport there's never going to be one training partner who can beat you in every single thing but what i found is important is finding certain individuals who are better than you at certain aspects of the sport that you need to get better at an example might be if you're a weak runner seek out a group of runners and train with them that is an opportunity to get a plus Um, a minus is someone that you're guiding you have to have someone under your wing that you're kind of bringing along with you uh i i have found from my own personal experience that that creates uh, a sense of ownership a sense of responsibility yeah um that really does hold you to your principles. It makes it, it's something that makes you not be a hypocrite. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, true. You're, if if you're teaching someone, you're like, man, it's really important that you do this movement work after your training, or really important that you do this <laughs> core work. And then they see you not doing it, right? Yeah. It's it's something that actually holds you accountable to to the things that you already say are important. It makes you walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, and then the other one is your equals, is someone that. 50% of the time where you compete against them, they're going to beat you. And I think that is also very important because that's what at the highest level of competition when you finally get there. So someone who has qualified for one of these major events or someone who is trying to, you know, trying to make it into that top 20 in the open, yeah. the chances of that, of their success in a sport that's as varied and chaotic as CrossFit really can never be better than 50-50 unless they're the absolute best, the best someone like Matt Frazier. And so exposing yourself to that 50-50 uh, on a regular basis is important. So that's where the, the concept of building your team came from. And you and I have taken it and really ran with it, and I've tried to apply this with, with my other athletes. But in my eyes, a team consists of your support system. Yeah. So your support system is going to be your emotional support system. We know that high-level performance revolves around a biopsychosocial model, right? So you need psychological and social support. So you're going to have to have people in your corner that yeah. that offer that. Um, and some for some people, it's going to be their one go-to person. For some people, it's going to be a whole gym that yeah. provide the, the momentum and support for them. But regardless of that, everyone needs to have someone on their team that is that that support system. Then I think you have to have in, in an athletic endeavor, you have to have a lot of people on your biological support team. Your coach is part of your biological support team. They're trying to build – uh, elite capacity in you or whatever level they're trying to build whatever adaptation it is that you want or you need. Um, then you have to have people that can take care of injuries and tweaks and tissues and things like that. Because the reality is there's only so much self 
self-care that you can do. Yeah. Uh, and you need those types of people in your corner. And if you look at the best sports in the world uh, and, and the best athletes in the other sports, they tend to have huge teams of support people that take care of tweaks, injuries, everything like that. And, and, and if you want to, to be a, a high level performer in this sport, or even want to just, you know, do CrossFit on a, on a regular basis, but do it and push yourself, you're going to need people that are going to be in your corner to help take care of you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've kind of seen it. With, I don't think the journey can be done alone. We've kind of seen it with Matt Fraser, you know, like, like we spoke about in that interview after the games or after one of the games events where, you know, where he basically says that his biggest secret or, you know, the one thing that made a massive change is that he has a great team and that takes care of everything for him. And all he has to do is put in the work. And because like we've spoken about before, everything in life outside of training might cause you stress like work or, you know, stressed relationship or traffic or whatever it is like that's all stresses on the body and if you have someone who can for example have all your food ready for you or you know take care of your bills or whatever it is that might cause you stress or take you away from focusing on training and the goals then in the end of the day that if that can make a one or five percent difference that's what's going to make you the best in the world and that's kind of the tendency we're seeing now that the best athletes, they are full-time athletes and not just full-time athletes as in they don't have a job on the side, but as in all they focus on is putting in the work and not anything else. It's absolutely true. But I think that same thing applies all the way down to the, to the group class level. I, I think that, uh, Anyone who wants to be successful or or aggressive in any in, in any endeavor, any area or aspect of their life, they're going to have to have a, a group of people that are are working with them and for them and and moving in the same direction as them. And I think surrounding yourself or coming up with a way to surround yourself with like-minded people is one of the keys to success in in any endeavor, whether it's coaching in, in, in my case if i want to create you know i have this really high level coaching goal that i want to achieve there's no way that i can do that on my own no obviously it requires the athletes and, and the right talent talent pool but i need people that i can refer to when when an athlete has an injury i need people that i can refer to when i have uh athletes who are, are struggling with psychological things and, and things like that because the reality is i'm i can be a great coach but that's only one component of a really multifaceted thing that is training and coaching and and athletic performance yeah i think uh we've kind of been through all the the topics that we set out to cover for today and there's definitely a lot more topics and we could have been much more in depth with each of the one each of the topics we're gonna save that for another episode um we'll catch up in a year or so or six months or so just like we did from the last show I know that you and the Training Think Tank crew have been spending a lot of time on developing the online courses, and I'm currently doing a few of them and planning to do all of them. What are those courses? How can people access them? If it is, if we have coaches listening to the show, why should they do these courses? 
Well, right now, our primary course offering is our movement course. And Max basically took uh, – this is the second version of the movement course. And yeah. and if you've been through this, you, you probably know that um, – I really think that it – it's safe to say that it's unlike any other course that exists. Um, it offers you a very, very in-depth view of movement training and all of the tools that you can use to impact someone's movement and he it's the first time that I've seen a system that actually defines human movement and defines the characteristics of human movement um, it, movements pervasive you know every when we we have a tendency to like categorize things like there's strength training and endurance training and and you know all these different yeah. subsets of training and in the end the thing that ties them all back together is movement and this course really lays out how to improve what your client or what you want to improve using, and then it gives you all the tools to do that. And I think there's no other course that's out there that really makes that path as clear as, as what Max has created. Our other courses that we, we currently offer uh, a bundle, which is going to be launching this week. We're going to be relaunching our bundle this week, which includes our energy system training course, uh, our strength training course, the yep. movement course, and our assessment course. And we're actually going to be, like I said, relaunching that bundle this week um, at, as like a, you know, a pre-holidays kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, those courses, those courses were, were our original courses. And I think uh, that's a lot of what built the following for training think tank. People took those courses and saw that you know, we were definitely thinking differently than, than a lot of the organizations out there. And, and I think the information that it's contained in those courses is so valuable to a, to a coaching practice um, across the board. The other thing that we're going to be launching this week, and I, this is something that I think we're most excited about, is our, our mentorship program and our group, uh, like our competitive group program. Okay. Both of those are launching this week. Um, and you can always find more details on the Training Think Tank website, just trainingthinktank.com. Um, but those things launch this coming week and, and – I'm super excited to see this mentorship program uh, and that's for coaches. take off and expand. Yeah. Yep. Yes, that's the that's the intention. Is this is a, a coaching mentorship program, and I think uh, this is something that's really going to allow people to take their coaching to the next level because you're going to get access to uh, coaches who honestly have the, the the most experience in the remote coaching realm. We, you're going to get access to this now. Finally, um, this is something that we've been we've been building for a while, and I'm really excited to see this thing take off. Is, um, one question about the coaching mentorship: Is it mainly for knowing the basics of coaching, like exercise physiology, and you know some of the courses, or is it also building your business as a coach and how you get clients and the, and those kind of things? Our intention is for the people that come into the mentorship program to already have either taken our courses or, you know, have an extensive coaching background so that yep. we're not teaching, uh, things that we already have created courses to teach. We yep. want to teach people the application side of everything. So whether that's, you know, building your business, building your, uh, you know, designing group training, designing individual training, how to do individual coaching, you know, how to add on remote coaching as a, a side component, how to make your systems efficient. That type of stuff is what we'd like to cover in the, the mentorship program. Awesome. 
Well, if you're a coach out there, you're an athlete who desire to, to learn more about training and, and the background behind why you do what you do, then I definitely recommend you hitting up those courses. I've done a few of them myself, and I said I'm planning on doing all of them and maybe even the coaching mentorship. There, I, I have found for myself that there, there aren't a lot of um, courses out there in general for coaches who, who, who teaches athletes in CrossFit, and, and this is definitely one you have to do. Kyle, you have also, let's say, relaunched your Instagram, basically. Lately, you've been posting <laughs> yes. average once a week, and I, I'm, I mean, I was shocked the first time when I received the notification that Kyle Roof is back on Instagram. If you want to follow Kyle on Instagram, there's a lot of really good posts, a lot of more geeky side of posts, I would say. We agree on that? Yeah, it's not like you're going to find a lot of a lot of videos of me training because, well, the stuff that I'm doing for training, I either don't want to release to people because I want to keep it close to the chest for my athletes only, yeah. uh, or it's just not that sexy, and so people wouldn't really want to – I don't think the average person would care that much about my training. My stuff is all focused on coaching and philo- coaching philosophy, physiology. I mean that's what that's what I really focus on with, with my Instagram. I Use it as a way. When I decided, when I made the decision to start using Instagram again, I decided that I was going to use it as a way to spread my coaching philosophy yeah. amongst my athletes. Yeah. You can. That fi- was my intention. You can find Kyle on Kyle Roof underscore TTT, and he also links over to a lot of the other TTT coaches like Evan and like Mike and. And Brandon and and the training think tank account. So you should definitely hop over there and, and check out what's going on. Kyle, it's been a pleasure as always, and thanks for taking your time to speak about some really good topics. I really hope that the people out there listening learned something and got some good takeaways. And if they want to know more, just shoot you a message or you know get in touch with the mentorship program. And we, we uh, are, I know we had been, TTT in general had been on a uh, client freeze for a long time. We had been at capacity. We are currently accepting new clients. So if people are interested, there are spots available across the coaching board. Go, go, go. Kyle, thanks for yep. taking your time. And we'll catch up soon. Andre, thank you, man.